morning, a beautiful windy morning outside, and a good morning to be together to worship the Lord. So uh, happy to be with you. If you're new this morning, we uh, want to just especially say welcome to you. If you're visiting from a different church or if you're uh, just here because someone brought you, uh, thanks for being with us. We'd love to meet you uh, after the service. If you came up to the front, you could meet a pastor or elder up here uh, outside. Uh, you could connect with somebody at the Welcome Center, and we have a little gift for you as well. So uh, happy to have you with us if you're new. We also like to remind ourselves every Sunday morning at Grace of these words on the wall right here that we want to be at Grace, a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. Uh, we hope that everything would angle towards that. So uh, a few announcements this morning, and then we'll open our service reading from God's word. Uh, but those announcements are first, a few short-term missions updates. Uh, number one, Bethany Ma uh, most of us know her. Bethany Ma will be uh, interning at the baby home in Pretoria, South Africa from November 8th through February 6th. So very exciting. She's leaving pretty soon. November 8th is coming quickly and uh, excited for her to have that time there. Uh, you uh, can be praying for her and also out on the plaza this morning. She has a letter just updating you with what's going to be going on and, and uh, an opportunity to pray and uh, support her as well. So um, excited for her. And then secondly, the Cambodia team is going to be sharing about their trip next Sunday, uh, November 5th, right after third service. So if you want to stick around next Sunday after church, uh, we'll hear an update about how that trip went. Uh, other things to mention is that there's a Membership Matters class coming up Wednesday night at 7 p.m. November 1st. Uh, that's this coming Wednesday, right in this room. Thanksgiving Praise Gathering is coming up on the 12th. Looking forward to that, 5 to 8 p.m., here in the evening on Sunday at GCO. And then last, uh, if you need biblical counseling, uh, there, are, there are men and women who are uh, equipped and would love to help you and walk through uh, whatever's happening in life. So just would encourage you to indicate uh, your need for that uh, online or by talking to somebody, and we'd love to connect you with somebody who could help. Uh, so with all of that, uh, let's begin by reading from God's Word. So if you're able, please stand with me, and we're going to read from Psalm 111 this morning, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 111, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. And Lord, we want to praise you this morning. Uh, you are gracious and merciful. There is no one like you. Your works are full of majesty and righteousness. Everything you do is beautiful and wonderful. And Lord, we pray that as we are together this morning to worship you, you would open our hearts to see more of your glory and the works that you've done and who you are and how you've put yourself on display in the world. So, Lord, would you draw our hearts to worship you this morning? Would you humble us? Would you help us to see Jesus most of all? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Would you remain standing as we worship together? joy 
Live high. 
You can take a seat. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. I invite you to turn there with me, and this may be the shortest seat you've ever had, because we're going to stand again in a moment (laughs) to read the Word of God. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 6 together. Andrew will be uh, preaching from this section in just a few minutes. And when you're with me and when you're ready, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. His perfect word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen. And now you may be seated. As we uh, pray now, just want to mention we're going to be especially praying this morning for one of the missionary uh, couples that we support, that's Stephen, Mayan Cad, and they serve with a group called Sword Productions, making gospel media resources to send into really challenging, um, less engaged places in the world. And so as we pray, we'll pray for them, and let's pray together now. Father, we are so thankful that you have called us uh, out of the world to believe in Christ, that you have worked in our lives, those of us who believe in Jesus by your spirit, so that we would have our eyes open to behold his glory. And even though others would look and see uh, the message of Jesus as shameful or foolish or, or weak, you've shown us that it's in the humiliation and the sacrifice of your son and then his rising that life really begins. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Thank you that you've worked to do something in and on our hearts. Um, You've worked internally in us to change us at the deepest level of who we are, to be a new kind of people. And Lord, we just, we praise you for that and, and worship you and want to ask together this morning that you would continue your work of transformation among us. Um, Father, we're aware as well of our weakness, of our sin, of our, of our backtracking, of our uh, uh, diversions away from following Jesus. Uh, They're just all over our lives. And so we want to, again, acknowledge to you that our hope rests only in Christ. He's the only one who could rescue, who could save. His sacrifice is the only one sufficient to pay for all of our failings and our sins against you. And his resurrection is the only one that could guarantee life for everybody who trusts in him. So, Lord, our hope rests completely in Christ this morning. Pray that together as your people, as we have fellowship and sing and pray and hear your word, the message of the gospel would be fresh to us this morning um, in a new way, that it would, it would uh, come and bring us peace and joy, fill our hearts with love for you, a desire to please you. Lord, we pray that you would work in that way this morning. 
We also want to lift up the CADs to you. We're so thankful for them and for their ministry. Father, would you continue to use the, the uh, resources that they are able to produce to accomplish things of eternal good? Um, Lord, we, we know that you're sovereign over all things. We pray that you would uh, allow those things that they create to land in front of uh, people who need to hear about Christ and that you would work in their heart to open their eyes to see his glory and that they would trust in him and that healthy believers, healthy churches would come as a result of their ministry. And then we pray for them personally, um, that in the life of, of a missionary, which can be lonely and challenging and filled with discouragement and setbacks, um, pray that you would encourage them, that you would fortify them, strengthen them for the work that you've called them to. Would you help them to be faithful, keep the main thing the main thing, and um, or would you use their uh, lives to point people to Jesus? We're so thankful for them. And Father, we just are grateful for this morning to be together. Thank you that all around the world, uh, the risen Lord Jesus is being worshipped in your churches. And um, we just pray for your blessing, Lord. Would you continue to pour out your spirit on the lost world that needs to know Christ, to bring people from death to life, to create communities of people who would be transformed by the love of Jesus and have love for one another in the lost world around them. Lord, would that be true of our church, that the other churches in our city uh, would you use us, Lord, to accomplish your purposes and help us to walk closely with you? We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you once again stand as we worship?
for your grace towards us in Christ that you have sent your son to redeem us from our sin. Lord, there is, it is not because of our righteousness or our goodness that we have standing before you, Lord, but it's because of your redeeming love that would um, even be so great to send your own son to take the penalty that we deserve. And Lord, we thank you that we have hope not only in this life, but even in eternity with you, Lord, that we get to be with Jesus for eternity if we have placed our faith in him. And Lord, that you will bring to completion the work that you have begun um, in each one who trusts you. We love you, Lord, and we ask for soft hearts this morning as we hear your word, that it would shape our understanding of you and help us to grow in our love for you and for one another. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Good morning. We are indeed going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and you're probably already there because we just read from it, but uh, if not, you can head there, and while you do, um, I have a question to, to start with this morning. I want you to think of three different churches. Church number one is your typical megachurch. They have thousands of members big buildings, big music, big programs, lots of activity, just big everything, right? Big name pastor, um, they got the twinkle lights on the plaza that you go out to, like it's, it's, it's got everything. Um, I'm sure you've been to one or, um, you know, heard about them. They support tons of missionaries and uh, they have the budget to do so, they got a big staff, they've got, they've just got a lot of ministry going on. Church number two. Uh, think medium-sized church, or at least medium here in America, right? It would be huge elsewhere, but like, like our range-sized church. And uh, you can imagine this church as solid, the preaching is solid, the doctrine is solid. Uh, there's some personal tension, right? There's like problems within the church. There's always problems, but let's say that this church has some extra ones. And um, they're, they're really wrestling through some things. They've had to cut back some budget, can't send as many missionaries, um, yeah, it's just a hard time for, for church number two, medium church. And then, third church is what we would call uh, a tiny church. Say, 50 people, uh, pray, pray together, sing together, uh, they worship every Sunday, they can support maybe one missionary, um, and they have the problems that any small church would have, but things are okay. Here's my question. Which of the three is healthiest? The three is healthiest. And in, in first hour, we got a lot of like quiet under their breath, the small one. Um, and I, I think what we ha would have to say is, we don't know. We don't know. You can't tell. From what I told you, you cannot tell. You cannot tell because, and this is, I'm going to give you the bottom line this morning right up front. The, the goal, the outward goal at least, of the church, of ministry, of us, of God, the goal is transformed people. The goal of the church is transformed people. Spirit-filled, spirit-transformed people. That's the goal. And you can have a tiny little church with sin and infighting and bittering, bickering and bitterness or joy. 
and peace and patience and kindness. You could send tons of missionaries, but have people that are empty and be making disciples out on the field that are, that are cheap, fake. You could have a medium-sized church, and it could be healthy or it could be not. The goal of the church is transformed people. Now, that is what Paul is going to show us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 6. He's going to show us that what we're angling for, what we're pulling toward together is new disciples, new believers, baptized into the church, and then taught to obey all that Jesus has commanded from new birth to death, the whole thing, the whole process. That's what we're about as a church. And this book of 2 Corinthians is, in my opinion, one of, if not the most neglected books of the entire Bible, especially of the New Testament. And, and here's the problem with it. I think we neglect it because it would kill a lot of what we do. What I mean is this. 2 Corinthians is about what real ministry looks like. And when I say ministry, I don't just mean pastors. I mean everybody, right? Pastors equip the saints to do the ministry. The ministry of the church, all of us together, it, it defines for us what real and authentic ministry looks like. And now here's, here's the rub. The way it defines real and authentic ministry is that it looks weak, impotent, and unimpressive to the world on purpose. Because when we, as we are, are weak and unimpressive, God shines through. God shines through. The power of the gospel is displayed when someone can look at us and say, you're not very impressive, but the gospel works anyways. The gospel has the power to transform people anyways. And so God designed ministry, designed the church to look weak in the eyes of the world. See, I used this example. We did a different passage at men's retreat, but it was close to here. And so some of you uh, heard this example already, but I don't think we would have hired Paul as a pastor. I don't think we would have hired him. Think about this. When pastors uh, candidate for a church, like um, go through a hiring process at a church, often they'll have the, guy, the, the guys come and preach a message. They meet with the elders and they preach a message. And, and I just want you to imagine, you've got one guy who comes up and he, he looks the part, he, he speaks well, he's polished, his theology is great, he presents it well, like everything, it just checks every box. And, and admittedly, different churches have different boxes, right? Like, at certain churches, if it's the younger crowd, like, you need to have a tattoo and you need to work out. <laughs> At our church, you better wear a jacket or there's going to be problems, right? Like, like, you have, we all do it, we all have our boxes that we check, right? Things that you kind of have to say or ways of saying it. But the, the first, you know, fake candidate here, he, he just nails all the boxes. And then Paul comes up. And Paul, as maybe heard Pastor Mike say, he's like loving this phrase right now. Paul is bandy-legged, like bow-legged. Paul walks funny with a limp because he's been beat so many times. Paul, we think, was probably uh, either blind or partially blind or had some eye problems. He's bald. He's short. We know that he didn't preach well. He says that he was not a great preacher. And to top it off, I want you to imagine a candidate coming up to preach with, with a parole ankle bracelet on. Do you hire that guy? Right? Like, hey, wait, what do you, why do you have that on again? Uh, but that's Paul, right? Imprisoned, beaten, looked on as the scum of the earth, he says. 
And yet he wants us to, as a church, understand why we should choose Paul. (laughs) Why, to put it another way, the gospel, though it looks unimpressive, it really works because it can really transform people and really do what, what we ultimately need. We don't need buildings and activities and ministries and all this special stuff. That's all good. But the real thing is transformed people, new hearts, changed lives. And so as we come to this book, and any time, this is a, maybe a bit of an aside, but any time you come to a book of Scripture, you've got to understand what is this book doing in the whole flow of the Bible? What, how does it fit together? And then how does it kind of flow as the argument goes along in the book? Because otherwise, what we end up doing is it's like we have a puzzle. And you have all the puzzle pieces laid out. It's like all the different kind of paragraphs throughout the whole Bible, just laid out like puzzle pieces. And if you go to your study Bible or you go to certain resources, you, you, like, you learn the, the exact way the shape is cut out on the puzzle piece and the exact details on it. You can tell all about it. But then somebody asks, like, well, how does this fit in? Where does it go? You're like, uh, I don't know. What section of the puzzle does it fit in? Uh, I don't know, but it's exactly like this. And, and if that happens over time, year after year, Bible reading can get really boring and confusing, right? It's just all these pieces on the table, and we don't know how they fit together. So we've got to ask, like, why, why this book? Why inspire Paul to write an entire letter about ministry, which, again, everyone does ministry, but he hits a lot on pastoral ministry. Why give that to the whole church? Why does the whole church need to have 13 chapters about ministry. And I've got a few reasons here for us as, as we dive in. This, this book that builds a picture of what ministry is, what authentic ministry looks like. Number one, it's because he inspires this letter to the whole church because everyone does ministry, not just the pastors. The Great Commission was not written for pastors. It was written for everyone. Everyone, the mission of your life, I don't care who you are, is to live a godly life, share and speak about Jesus so that people would come into the kingdom, and then you help and encourage them all the way along, all the way until they die. That's, you do that with your children. We do that in Adventure Club with the young kids. Those youth ministries are all evangelistic ministries. We realize this, right? Your parenting is evangelistic. Your, your workplace is an opportunity. And then to encourage and help them grow along the way. Everyone does ministry, not just pastors. The pastors equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Reason number two God would inspire this. Because if we aren't all on the same page, we start pulling in different directions and it gets ugly fast. So imagine you come to, let's say you get asked to do some new ministry at church in some official capacity, and you come onto this ministry team and you come in like, all right, we got to plan events. We got to get stuff on the calendar. We've got to make it um, really excellent. We've got to get all these things planned out. And and then the, the person next to you is like, we need to pray for these people. We need to, we need to think about kind of maybe what we'll teach through over the next year. We, we, we need to, and, and now you're both pulling like this. And this one is frustrated that why, won't, why don't you care about the stuff that actually matters because, because we've got to like get things done. And this one's frustrated like why won't you sit and pray with me for these people because it's about people and now we're like pulling, do you see this? That makes tension. That makes tension in our life. But when we're all going in the same direction and we all get it, it's about people and seeing them transformed, we pull together. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, number three, I think that, that God inspired Paul to write this letter in part because it's important that the church family all have a healthy understanding of what pastors are to be and do. 
If we have wacky expectations, like most of us do in evangelicalism today, we, we take this, this idea of like, and I think I can say this because it usually falls on, on the senior pastor, right? He needs to be CEO and CFO and COO and care for his family well and be at everything and start a new thing every three weeks because we've got to have something going on, right? And then we wonder, why are these guys collapsing under the weight? Oh, well, maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe we wanted our ministry. Maybe we wanted our church. Maybe, maybe we got enjoyment from, from resting on the fact that well, our, our church is moving and our church is doing stuff and our church has activity. And That's not Paul's picture of ministry, maybe. So, let's look at the flow up to this point in the letter, and I'll move through it pretty quickly. But if you remember, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he opens by talking about how his gospel is the gospel of the God of comfort. Remember this. He says that, that it's the, the, here, let's just look at it here. Blessed be the God and Father, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. Do you hear this like over and over and over again? He doesn't make this up. This comes from Isaiah who says, when the new covenant comes, comfort, comfort my people. There's going to be a gospel that can provide real comfort for the real issues of your heart. And Paul says, it's here and it's now. And all these quote-unquote super apostles who come to attack Paul, this is what's happening in the letter, by the way. They're coming and they're pointing at Paul and they're saying, you're weak, you're unimpressive, you don't preach well, and your gospel is about a guy who, who was executed as a criminal. Why should we follow this new thing that you're bringing in? Let's stick to what we've got, the old covenant. Paul says, no, something new is here that God promised that is powerful, that will win, that will give real comfort where you need it. And so my gospel is a gospel of comfort that was promised. And then he goes on to say, real ministry doesn't have to posture. It doesn't have to prove itself and prove that it is honorable. They're like, the, the false uh, teachers were saying, look, Paul says he's going to come to you, and then he doesn't show up, and he changes his plans, and he waffles one way, and he waffles the other way, and he says, no, I didn't come to you because I didn't want to cause you pain. I didn't want to have to discipline Again, and I, I, I work with you for your joy. That's the attitude of real ministry. I work with you for your joy. Whether that's on a personal level, in our family and with our kids, whether that's amongst one another in the church, we work with one another for the joy of one another, to help one another grow. And so then he leads in and says, and says in chapter 2, this is kind of like 5 through 11 of chapter 2. Do you remember that guy back in 1 Corinthians who he said, put him out of the church because he's not repenting of sin. Well, now he says, forgive this guy. Forgive him. Because in a culture that works on honor and shame, he would have been so shamed, he was probably going to harm himself. And he says, look, this guy's repenting. Bring him back. And the point is this. The gospel not only comforts, the gospel gives forgiveness. These false, flashy teachers who look amazing and powerful and strong, but they're harsh on the inside. And this gospel gives comfort and forgiveness. And then he moves into, do you remember the section where Paul talks about Christ leads us in triumphal procession and to some we smell like death and to some we smell like life? That's this next passage here. And he's basically showing this. Even if you look at my ministry and say, hey, a bunch of people rejected it, it's still winning. It's still winning. Even when we lose, we win. Because God, the sovereign of the universe, knows those who are his and brings them and those that reject are, are part of the plan as well. 
And so he concludes here, he summarizes, and, and by the way, that's really encouraging for us in our life because you don't fail when people reject the gospel or make fun of you or turn away from you. That's just part of what happens when we share the gospel. All that matters is that we live godly lives and, and take the opportunities we're given. And if they hate it and reject it and turn away, that's the death for some, life to life for others. We just keep preaching, sharing, loving, praying. There is no failure except not saying anything. Now, he ends in verse 17 with this kind of like climactic, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And here's basically what he's saying. Peddler is the idea of diluting something and then trying to like go out and sell your, your junky goods, right? And he says this, the gospel is so strong, so powerful, and I know that it'll work because of God's promises, so I don't need to water it down, and I don't need any gimmicks. I don't need any tricks. I don't have to like, like rope you into the kingdom. I don't have to like say the presentation so fast and then get you to pray to the player. Oh, they're in. Welcome. Here's a new child of God. Like, no. No. I can say it how it is. And I don't have to soft pedal it. And I don't have to sell you on it. But now, now we get into our passage. In chapter 3, he turns and basically realizes, wait, wait, wait. Okay, someone might say, Wait a second, Paul. You just said it's not about you. It's all about God's power. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. And But then now you're bragging about how I don't peddle God's word. I, look at me. I, I give it straight. Which, by the way, we can be guilty of that pride too, right? Like, we're the faithful ones. And so he turns and says, wait, hold on. Now he's going to start peeling layers of an onion. Layers of an onion that show that his gospel ministry works, it wins, it's powerful, and it's not about Paul, it's from God. And the outer layer is what he's dealing with here and what we're talking about. That outer layer is this. Our goal is to transform people. The outward final result, the hope of ministry, we can't force it, we can't manufacture it, but the hope, the goal, is transform people. Transform people. Chapter 3, the verse 1, and these first three verses, that's kind of our heading. The goal is transform transformed people. Not just nice people, but transformed people. Not numbers, not activities, not ministries, not buildings, not excellence, and not even lack of conflict, but making new disciples and then seeing those disciples slowly transformed to be like Christ over time. Courageous, bold, daring, wise, humble, meek, gentle. Maybe a, a quick example of this before we... Uh, jump into this verse. I, I was laughing um, just this morning. I was talking about this with Aaron. You know how churches will do slideshows sometimes? Like we do it, we, uh, we've done it in the past, I think, at the, the praise gathering. You put a slideshow up of the last year and, hey, look at what, what God is doing. And um, by the way, I like the slideshow. I'm pro slideshow. Don't, don't like, it's all good. I'm not bashing. But can you imagine, like I want to give the assignment to the photographer where I get to say like, hey, I need, you to capture, uh, I need you to capture someone repenting. And I need you to capture someone in the middle of forgiving someone. And I need you to capture peace. And I need you to capture gentleness. And I need you to capture self-control. Get, get that. Like, that's a hard assignment, right? It's a lot easier to like, hey, go get some laughing kids out at Adventure Club. Which, again, praise the Lord, right? 
Or, I, I told Aaron this morning, like, what if our slideshow was just like black slides with white words that said love, joy, peace. Like, thank the Lord for what he's done this year. Amen. But that's the goal, right? Transformed people. Transformed people. So let's look at these, these verses and see where I'm actually getting that from. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Are we beginning to commend ourselves? Are, are, we, are we saying that, hey, we're so great? Paul is, is Paul saying, hey, we're awesome. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. You're the letter. You're the proof. Right? The proof is in the pudding. Well, the people here are the pudding. The proof is in the people. The proof is in the transformation that the gospel brings about to show that it really is God's power and can do what the law never could do. You are the letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And now verse 3. We'll go through this analogy because it's, it's tricky a bit, but it's actually really cool. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So, the Corinthians, the people, their heart, their inner person, that is the letter, that's the parchment, you might say, that, that God is writing on. And Christ is the writer of the letter. So you have Christ writing on the hearts of the Corinthians, and the ink that he uses is the Holy Spirit. The analogy here, right? That you are a letter from Christ, Christ is the writer, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So the Spirit is the ink, the letter is the people, the writer is Christ, delivered by us. This is in verse 3. Delivered by us. Now, he doesn't explicitly say who he's delivering it to, but in various other passages of Paul, he talks about presenting people to the Father. We, label to, we, we labor to present everyone mature before the Father. He talks about people standing before the Father one day. And so it seems like, in Paul's mind, what's going on is that Christ does this work on human hearts through his Spirit. The apostles come along and, and carry these people through life, present them to the Father, and the picture you can have is that as they're hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, Paul is standing in the background knowing, I played, I played some role in that. And it's this really cool cycle, right? Because the Father sends the Son to rescue people. The Son sends the Spirit into their hearts. And then the Spirit uses the, the ministry of the church to bring people into the kingdom and, and carry them from new birth all the way to death to present them before the Father. And it's, it's this beautiful, glorious process. The goal people. Now, let's, let's draw out some applications here from this. Number one, God has called you to this. Not pastors, you. Every single person in the church is called to the Great Commission. Make disciples, new birth to death, the whole process. So, right, you might be not be involved right at the front end of bringing someone into faith all the time, but you might be really good at helping teach and train and disciple and encourage. You might be working with your children in bringing them to the Lord. You might be working with a coworker. You might. There's all different places that this comes out, right? But all of us, that is our mission. All of us, every one of us. No one gets out of it. If you're a Christian, this is your mission, even though it looks different. For all of us, from the new birth all the way to death, we are helping people transform 
from one degree of glory to another, as Paul will say later in this letter. Number two, we need to be really humble in our self-evaluation, both ourselves, but, but especially as a church. It's really hard to measure. Like, it's super, let me start over. It's super easy to measure a budget. Super, well, not for me, but you know what I mean. It's super easy to measure how many people came to X thing. It is really hard to measure, hey, how, how much have you grown in bearing the fruit of the Spirit in the last year? Right? That's like, well, uh, did I go forward or backward? I don't know. That's hard to measure, and so we need to be humble. We need to not pat ourselves on the back. We need to not assume that everything is wonderful just because all the external stuff looks great. We need to be humble. Fruit grows slow. The harvest of certain spiritual inputs in your life might be years in the future. Third thing, motion doesn't equal meaning. I've said this a few times, but just because there's activity doesn't mean there's health. Another way to put that would be this. Hyperventilation is not healthy. Right? There's, there's a pattern of breathing that's healthy. And just adding more... <laughs> That doesn't necessarily, that's not good, right? And in the same way, as a church, if we just do more and run faster and move quicker, and that's not always a sign of health. Number four, when you think, when you think of your involvement in the church, again, church isn't something you go to, it's something you're a part of, it's something we're doing together. We are the church, doing ministry together. When you think about that, think in terms of people more than events and ministries, Right? Not, um, I keep using this one, but let's, let's go with it. Um, not, I'm a leader in adventure club, which might be true. Um, but I get a chance to help these kids come to know the Lord and know him better. Right? It's people-oriented. How can I help them grow? How can I encourage them? How can I strengthen them? Am I an influence toward maturity in the lives around me? Am I an influence toward Christ-likeness, whether you need to come to know him or know him more? Is that my influence in the people around me? And then the last thing, there's such a freedom in embracing weakness. You can just collapse onto God's power, right? You don't have to be anything special. You don't have to do anything special. You just be you, live godly, and, and share the truth and bless others and pray for them as you have opportunity, right? Like, the Christian life is pretty simple when you boil it down in that way. And all of your weaknesses, all they do is highlight how strong God is and how good he is. The weaker, the better. There's a great freedom in being weak and trusting in God's power. We don't have to be anything special. That's verses 1 through 3. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. If, if the first part was basically showing the goal of ministry is transformed people, this second section essentially deals with how, oh, transforming into what? what? What does transformation look like? What are we aiming at? What are we going towards? And how do we measure it? So the measure, this second section, verses 4, 5, and 6, the measure of people in Paul here is spiritual fruit. Or to change it around, the fruit of the Spirit. The measure of transformation is the fruit that comes from the Spirit living in us. And, and 
to use Paul's analogy, the writing of the Spirit on our hearts. Look here at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Paul is completely and totally confident because he knows that even if I look outwardly like a failure, we're winning. It's working. The transformation is happening. You Corinthians are proof. We could look out here and say, you all are proof. We all are proof that this gospel transforms. It saves old. It saves young. It saves hardened. It saves unhardened. Uh, It saves all types, all kinds, caught in all level and manner of sin. It saves and it transforms. And that's the confidence that Paul has and that we can have before God. Such is our confidence because the gospel has power to change. And that means that it can change you too, not just the people that you're ministering to. It means it can change you. When you can't tell, did I grow this last year or not? You can rest in God's power that if you really trust in him, he will carry to completion the work that he started. He can and will change you. And verse 5 here, it's not about the messenger. Not, verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. There's not a single thing that we can look to and say, I did this, I did that, I have this, I am this, oh, it was nice that I did this, and we never consciously think these things, at least hopefully not, but we can't even do that as a church, right? Like, oh, it's just so great, we have, we have the best uh, this, and the best preaching, and the best doctrine, but no, 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 no. Everything is from him, through him, to him, and it's all a gift. What do you have that you have not received, Paul says? Kids, kids, well, I guess they do, but kids ought not brag about gifts that they get on Christmas morning, right? It's a gift, and everything that we have is a gift. It's not about us. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the pastor. It's not about you, and so you can just let go of you. There's a freedom in this weakness and this confidence that God's gospel works and it wins and it overcomes the darkness. It's not about the messenger. One quick uh, warning here. And this is something that, that I'm susceptible to, every pastor is, but if you're going to a new church especially, I'm looking out at like, I don't know, late high school, early college, uh, beware, have your guard up for pastors that make it about them. Like look, look at their Instagram. What's it about? What's the emphasis? What's the focus? Uh, there's always a push in humans, to draw attention to ourselves. But Paul says, no, it's about Christ. It's about his gospel. It's about his power. And all I'm here to do is show how weak I am so that his power becomes greater and more known. Verse 6. Our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now the rest of chapter 3 is going to dig way into this, but I'm just going to kind of summarize it here. The, The mix here is that the old covenant, the letter, the one written on stone, the old covenant was not able to give you a new heart. The old covenant does this. It tells you what sin is, And it defines God's righteousness. It shows you what does God love, what does God hate, what is he like. 
and it holds up this stick, if you will, that is perfectly straight so that we can all say, oh, I'm very crooked. But it can't give you a new heart. That's why Moses literally says, the law is going to become obsolete, and when the Messiah comes, to him you shall listen. And Paul says, this has happened. The new covenant has come, giving us the Spirit. The Spirit can transform the heart, give you a new heart, give you new desires, make you new people, completely transform you, and that is happening now. It's as if, for Paul, you know how um, CEOs will often have like key performance indicators, right? They have their little dashboard of numbers that are like, if I get these right, business is good. We have those sometimes in the church context, subconsciously, you know, unspoken. And I don't know if ours line up with Paul's. I think Paul's CEO dashboard, his KPIs are, are the fruit of the Spirit. You can imagine it. He opens his computer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the measure. That's the thing. What, what does the Spirit do? This, this Spirit who gives life, what does he produce in his people? When, he, when the letter has been written on the heart with the ink of the Spirit, he produces the fruit that comes from the Spirit. And here's the problem with all this. That means we can't force anything. Right? Can't force corn to grow or apples to come off the trees. You can do all the right inputs. You can water it. You can, right? But you, can't, you don't make it grow. And in fact, it's interesting that Paul uses the farming analogy. You speed up farming and it actually kills the crops. I don't know all the details, but I've heard that, right? <laughs> Like, you try to rush it, and it, it ruins it. People are the same. We have to be patient, patient with one another, patient with the Lord's work in our lives. We wait, and we pray. Because the goal is transformed people, but we can't make that happen. And so, some applications from this portion here. Number one, we've said this already, but I want to say it again. You can be involved in activity at a church, and not be involved in the mission of the church. You can do all kinds of stuff for year after year after year and not actually drive the mission of the church forward. Possible. Number two, we should probably pray more. I do hear people bemoan that we don't pray or don't pray enough, and to them I would say, we actually do pray quite a bit, but I do get their point. If it's completely the Lord, and, and we want to depend wholly on him, we should probably pray with one another more. Not as, a, not as an appetizer, but as an entree, right? As the main thing. Because we can't force the growth. You can't make your kids believers. And forcing them to pray a prayer is probably going to do the exact opposite of what you actually want. It's like this. There's this interesting mix in these things where uh, I, don't, I don't make the water come out of the faucet. The city does that, right? But I also don't put my toothbrush under the faucet and leave the, the handles turned off. You turn the handle on, Lord willing, the city has water come out, right? In the same way, we don't say, well, God's going to transform people, so we just sit here and wait. We turn on the faucet. We pray. We ask. We preach. We counsel one another. Connor talked about if you need counseling, we all need counseling, right? We all need biblical counseling and encouragement. We're all weak. We turn the faucet on. We do the things that produce growth, and then we pray that God sends the water. God causes the actual growth, right? God makes the, the thing actually happen. 
We should probably pray more. Number three and four, I'll say these quickly. Our schedules should probably reflect these priorities. And what I mean by that is twofold. Our schedule probably should not be so jam-packed that there's no time for people, only time to get to the next thing. That's probably off. Our schedule should probably look different than the frenzied, frantic world around us. And, on the flip side, our schedules shouldn't look like we're so selfish with our time that we're constantly trying to push everything away and we never pour ourselves out for the people in our lives. And then similarly, uh, I'll just mention this briefly, but our technology use should probably also match the people emphasis. Um, I actually really am pro-technology in general. I think it's a blessing from God. But if your use of your phone and your technology draws you away from the real people in front of you, something is backwards and off. No matter how good it is that you can stay connected with everybody, the biggest impact you're going to have is with the real people right in front of you. So I'll leave it there. You can kind of think and meditate on that one, but um, our, our schedules and our tech should, should match up the priorities of the church. So let's pull some of these threads together. The, the goal of our lives, the church's life, the end result that we're praying for, that we're aiming towards, is transformed people, both ourselves and others. And that is measured as the fruit of the Spirit, the output of love and joy and peace and patience and so on. So let's commit ourselves. Let's commit ourselves as individuals and commit ourselves as a church body to, to be laser-focused on this. Whether it's far off, people who have never heard before, and we want to see those people transformed and changed, and you go as a missionary, or you send as a missionary, or you pray for missionaries, whether that's closer to here, whether that's in your own family, let's be laser-focused on praying and asking God and being faithful to do the things that he's given us, to turn on those faucets, to pray and to counsel and to encourage that, that, that people would be transformed by our ministry. And let's do that with confidence in the power of the Spirit that He actually will and can work. And when it seems like He doesn't, either it's going to happen later, or to some we're an aroma of death to death, praise the Lord, He's still winning. I want to wrap up, this is a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, but it puts some weight behind some of this. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Right? He's looking ahead to heaven and to hell and the glory or the, uh, or the sadness that will be true of us. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. They're just small and short-lived. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And Paul's hope is that we 
all could one day stand. And as other people are hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, that we could somehow know, I, I got to play a small part in that. I got to play a small role in helping that person stand before the Lord with eternal joy. Think about it. You might pray for missionaries that you never, ever, ever meet. And then one day in God's kindness, while that missionary hears, well done, good and faithful servant, maybe he lets you realize, oh, that's the one I was praying for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Lord, please continue to transform us. Our hearts are so hard and slow often, but you're kind and your love is amazing and overwhelms even our hard-heartedness and our wickedness. Lord, prepare us to go out this week and to be agents of transformation in the world for your glory and your honor. Thank you that you use weak and foolish and, and just impotent people like us, but you, you transform us and you make us sufficient to go out into to your world and bring your gospel. Um, thank you for the power that's in your gospel. May it have its effect both here and now and throughout all eternity. All right, okay. Why don't we stand uh, one more time, everyone, and we'll close worshiping together. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross a love so
Jesus' side.